Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast. This is the show where we go straight to the energy industry sources to cover challenging topics impacting the utility industry. I'm your host, Jason Price of West Monroe, and I'm coming to you from New York City. Joining me as always, based in Orlando, Florida, is Energy Central's community manager and podcast producer, Matt Chester. Matt, 2021 is coming to a close, and what a year it's been for all of us at Energy Central and in the energy and utility industry, don't you think? I couldn't agree more, Jason. It's been a truly exciting 12 months for the industry as a whole, and it's definitely been a whirlwind for us at the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast. So I'm thrilled to be here to celebrate the end of the year with you. Absolutely, and me too. And it's such a notable occasion as we wrap up our second full year that we had to bring in a special guest. We've invited the VP of Energy Central, who will share her insight on the past year. Audra Drasko, welcome to the Energy Central's Power Perspectives podcast. Thanks, Jason. I'm excited to join in and be part of this special year-end episode. Well, as we sat down to think about the success of the podcast in the past year, we saw that the episodes we featured well reflected some of the major events in the utility industry during 2021. Matt, why don't we run through that list that we generated? Absolutely. Well, January started with new leadership at a number of IOUs, and we'll get to hear from one of them on today's podcast recap. That's right. Then February was defined by the winter storm that hit Texas and almost brought the state to the brink of an energy meltdown. Absolutely. And then March, we saw some of the early work from the Biden administration in energy, uh, notably the authorization of some massive offshore wind projects. In April, the COVID-19 vaccine rolled out, led to many industries returning to normal, which impacted power demand profiles and oil consumption. In May, we saw the cybersecurity of the whole energy ecosystem come clearly into focus as the Colonial Pipeline was hit with a ransomware attack. And in June, the data started to come in that showed renewable energy generation continued to surge. That's right, but then heat waves in July definitely strained the grid and pushed energy prices ever higher. In August, you may recall, we witnessed horrifying flooding in Germany. Those horrific landslides wiped out entire towns, followed in September by hurricanes Henry and Ida wreaking havoc in the Caribbean all the way up to the Northeast. Right, and then during September, we saw some ramping up concern about fuel shortages, colder than expected uh, winters to come, and all of that bringing about oil and gas price spikes. Right, and in October, we hit a milestone. Tesla reached $1 trillion valuation 11 years after its birth, a remarkable climb and historic symbol to the electric vehicle business. No doubt, and then in November, we saw the passage of the infrastructure bill, a once in a generation piece of legislation that will directly impact our generation, transmission and distribution systems. Yeah, and well, we're recording this podcast in the first half of December, so we'll have to wait to see what the dominant story of the month will be though most of the ones we just mentioned are still coming into play as the year comes to a close. And that's just the list we came up with. For anyone listening who thinks we skipped over any of the most important stories, be sure to drop us a line and we'll put your additions in the transcript of this podcast along with your name next to it if you like. So all that's to say that yes, 2021 was a remarkable year with lots happening and no slowdown in sight. As a tradition here at Power Perspectives, we take time to reflect on the wisdom of our past guests that we hosted throughout the year. They took time out of their day to share experiences and pass on knowledge, and we would like to highlight some of the more memorable ones from this past year to remember them and repeat them in case you missed them the first time. 
So as we dive in, Audra, let's hand the mic to you to tee it off. What did you think about the past year? What were some of the most memorable discussions you heard on Power Perspectives? Thanks again, Jason. First, I want to thank both you and Matt for producing some incredible episodes over this past year. I also want to thank all of our guests for sharing their knowledge and expertise with the community. When we first launched our podcast series in late 2019, I was unsure if our industry would tune in. So I'm thrilled to report that our community and the industry have embraced our podcast series. And over the last two years, we have seen our listens grow significantly. And I may be biased, but I believe our podcast is one of the most popular and trending series in the industry today. I'm excited to build upon our success and hope to take our podcast to another level in 2022. But before we tackle 2022, I'm thrilled to discuss highlights from a few of our more popular episodes over this past year. So let's get started. In May, we had the honor of interviewing Doug Hausman, one of the first registered users of Energy Central to join and participate in our newly launched community platform formed in 2017. Since then, he has contributed his time as an expert member and contributor in the community, participating in discussions, Q&A, and sharing his insights through posts and thought leadership articles. I have personally had the opportunity to have many conversations with Doug and appreciate all his support in the community. He is very passionate about the industry and willing to share his knowledge and expertise. In episode number 41, Nothing But the Whole Grid, Doug further shares his knowledge, specifically expanding on his article he shared with the community. In the episode, Doug discusses the issues we face today and shares how he would tackle the future. My favorite soundbite from this episode is his response to Jason's question. So let's say a utility CEO is listening today and agrees with everything you're saying. What would you tell the CEO as the first step to take in terms of moving forward with what we're talking about in your paper? Here's what Doug had to say. Probably the first step I would take as a CEO is to take a step back and, and ask two questions, if I were to have my great-grandchildren come into this company in 100 years, what would it be famous for? Take all of the temporal issues out, take all of the personality issues out, take everything else out, look well into the future and say, what do we actually need to do well 100 years from now? The second ask is, do I believe that we are actually going to get to electrification in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? I don't care what the time period is. And what does that mean to my company in terms of load, reliability, resiliency, sources, storage, etc.? Again, without putting any temporal ideas behind it. And then use that as an end state to think about what steps they need to take today to get to that end state. In July, we also interviewed two of my favorite community members and expert contributors from Esri, Bill Meehan and Pat Hall. Over the last few years, I've had the privilege to work closely with Bill and Pat and have thoroughly enjoyed working with them and learning more about GIS and Esri. Between these two, they have eons of expertise working in the industry. 
Just kidding, Pat and Bill, so maybe it's years of experience, but no doubt they have a wealth of knowledge to share. In fact, just recently I had the privilege to work with them to develop a video series called Utility Lessons Learned with Bill and Pat. In this monthly series, Bill and Pat share in little bite-sized snippets fun stories of their lessons learned working in the industry. They have so many incredible stories to share, and I hope you will take a minute to watch a few of them. They are only five to six minutes long and can be found under the Esri Company page on the Sponsors tab of Energy Central. For today, though, I'd like to specifically focus on an excerpt from our podcast episode 47, GIS Digital Twin and the Intelligent Reality of Utilities. In this episode, Jason asks Bill and Pat, where do you see GIS heading in the coming years from a digital twin perspective? And as always, in typical storytelling fashion, here are Bill and Pat's responses. Well, we're seeing a large push for infrastructure improvement. And I believe that we'll see integrated digital twins become the norm and quite frankly, just become expected. Think for a minute about shopping. All the packages on doorsteps in my neighborhood tell the story. It's so different than really just a few years ago. And now it's expected and it's normal. And so many things in our society are changing in that way. They're changing the way that we function. Information is being put to use and it makes many, many tasks easier and more efficient. Those packages, I usually know when they're going to arrive and I get a notification when they do. And the use of data is being used to refine almost everything. Yet many utility processes, they're still being done in very much the same way that they were when I started with utilities in the 80s. And th that is changing. Utilities want in on the action. And if you look at their strategic goals, you'll see a reflection of that desire. Old information silos, they won't get us there. We do need ways to bring different kinds of data together, understand it, and get it immediately in the hands of people that can use it. That capability helps everyone, but none more than those that are entering the workforce now. If you think about digital natives, they grew up with technology. They played on an iPad when they were young, and they expect things to work this way. And so their training, their planning, their execution of their work, it can now all be done with the aid of 3D visualization, or as Bill said, 4D, including time, real-time data, and instant collaboration. And that's why I'm optimistic about those entering the workforce. I think they're going to help propel us to embrace better ways of working. Well stated, Pat. I got, I'm going to go back to my one of my favorite expressions, which is transformation. And when I think of the digital twin, I think it offers the the really opportunity to see things in a in a different way. And you know, you know, I I love to use the example of the of the old fashioned typewriter. Remember the typewriter, and and you look at and and remember the levers. And and when um, you, you ask the question, well, why did they put the why did they put the A in that Silly spot, way the heck over on the on the left hand, be struck by the the weakest finger in the hand. Why do they do that? That's crazy. Why would they anybody? Why would they invent something silly like that? Well, because they were trying to slow typists down because the levers all uh, jammed up. And so when we look at the keyboard, we say, 
Well, that's the way it has to be. That, that just is, it's not that we want to change. It's just that we, we're so used to things. We've, we've become so used to certain things. We've become so used to the silos that we don't, we don't think of things in a different way. GIS helps us to see things because it's not just about maps. It's about visualization and analytics to see things that we could probably have never, we really didn't notice before. It's like, it's, it's almost like I think of transformation. Somebody said, aha. I mean, Steve Jobs said, aha, why don't we do this? And I think GIS is going to help the millennials. It's going to help even the older people to, 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 to really innovate because we're going to see things that we could never see before. Lastly, one of our goals with the podcast has been to include interviews with senior executives and leaders from utilities and or government agencies. And in May, Jason and Matt brought on Mark Gabriel, formal CEO of WAPA and now president and CEO of United Power, as part of our leadership series. In episode number 39, Mark Gabriel talked about taking the grid of tomorrow from concept to reality. This podcast episode couldn't have been timelier and more relevant as during this time the infrastructure bill was being pushed through Congress, Texas had just faced one of the worst power outages in the past decade, Californians were facing anticipated rolling blackouts along with another wave of anticipated wildfires, and we were in the middle of a hurricane season. The grid, of course, was at the center of all these issues. My favorite talking point on this episode came from the question, the state of the grid has become a topic of quite heated interest recently, and that was even the case before the fiasco in Texas that led so many without power. Many people are calling the grid neglected, run down, and there's a need to re-engineer completely. Would you contend that this is unfair, unjustified, and why is that? Mark's response was as follows. Well, if you look over the past 100 years, we have continuously upgraded and expanded the transmission system in the United States. In fact, WAPA alone spends roughly $160 million a year on upgrading its system. And that ranges on everything from more sensors and communication devices to some really simple things like replacing wood poles with metal poles. So I think it's, it's unfair to suggest that the grid is somehow falling down or third world. Now, certainly there are technologies that can be added to the grid and should be added to grid. Certainly there are places where the transmission system needs to be bolstered. Certainly more investment in terms of resilience and reliability are gonna be critical for us to manage in a low carbon or no carbon environment going forward. But I, I do bristle a little bit when folks say, oh, the grid is falling down. It really isn't. It can use more investment. But also, we always have to balance the challenge of affordability. We could gold plate the grid and then turn around and find ourselves not being able to afford those upgrades. That said, there are things we could do right now that would significantly improve how the grid operates. And those things are investments that some of them are very simple, some of them are more complex, but I think it's unfair to say that the grid is somehow falling down or third world. That was great, Audra, and can see why those rose to the top. Matt, I'll turn it over to you to see if you have any highlights you'd like to share with us. You know I do, Jason. I think Audra highlighted some really key guests, but for me, what stuck out the most was some of the in-depth insights our expert guests brought, and I continue to think about many of those lessons learned that they shared with us to this day. 
So to start, I'd like to highlight episode 51 with Charlie Botsford, where we discussed electric vehicles as a grid asset. Specifically, as an expert in this field, Jason, you asked Charlie what he would do if he could direct government funding, such as COVID relief monies or stimulus funds, to be the most effective at deploying and leveraging the electrical vehicle space. Charlie had this to say. So the first category provides the greatest opportunity to supply grid services, as it turns out. For instance, overnight charging for school buses and even during the day. So school buses, I don't know if you know, but they, they go out in the morning and then they go out in the afternoon. But in the middle of the day, they, there's plenty of opportunity for them to do B2G services. Uh, the second category enables true equivalency with conventional internal combustion vehicles. That's the old thing about, you know, you go out and you want to drive across the country. Could you do it? Well, you actually can nowadays. Maybe it was a little bit sketchy 20 years ago. But the more and more DC fast charging that gets it's out there, like Tesla's 20,000 port supercharger network just in the U.S. alone is, is amazing. And EV Electrify America and EVGo and, and some of the other networks. All of that with DC fast charging really puts electric vehicles on the same footing as gasoline-powered vehicles. So I think those two scenarios were where the administration really needs to put their money our money, actually, my money. <laughs> I think that clip just spoke to me and is something I kept in mind while watching Congress debate the best use of funds in the infrastructure bill. And actually, those federal policy debates have also brought about another topic of note, those in support of nuclear energy. While watching these discussions play out, I've regularly referred back to when we hosted Rudy Shankar on episode 50, the increasing role of nuclear energy to meet climate challenges. On the topic, Rudy had the following insights to share. Given your position, you must be tracking what's going on in D.C. and even you know state governments around energy policy. And what's the conversation regarding nuclear, um, nuclear, especially as a climate fighting tool? Can you talk about that? Yes. In fact, I was very heartened to see that the Biden administration has a very ambitious clean energy plan in which nuclear plays a dominant role. They're acknowledging that uh, nuclear reactors have been very reliable sources of electricity. And so many of the utilities have submitted license renewal to extend the operation of existing reactors from their original 40-year license to 60 years. Nearly all of them have submitted, except some of the single unit owners. And now they're thinking about extending the 60-year license to 80 years because they feel very strongly that this can still be operated safely and reliably. So that's another piece of good news. And of course, we talked about SMRs. The Biden administration is supporting SMRs. I've seen some very good press on SMR startups that are quite deeply involved in looking at different coolant instead of looking at water, looking at molten salt, uh, molten fluoride salts. I think this adds to the excitement that nuclear energy can bring in introducing new technologies that could support climate change challenges. So I feel very bullish about you know, what can happen. 
The next episode that I've kept in mind was one where we got two guests in one, hearing from Jeremy Renshaw of EPRI about how they helped the utility Amarin to utilize artificial intelligence in their practice. From the Amarin side, we were fortunate to hear from CTO Bhavani Amirthalingam, who had recently been named one of the top 50 innovative tech leaders by Forbes. This all took place on episode 55, AI and the Modern Utility. When setting the stage for us, I thought Bhavani did a great job highlighting succinctly how and why all utility leaders should be thinking about AI. Sure. You know, artificial intelligence, quite frankly, has been around for a long time. And, uh, you know, what it is is basically just machine displayed intelligence that, you know, simulates human behavior or thinking and can be trained using data um, and, and to solve specific problems. And so, you know, machines, as we know, can process more data, so greater volume, greater velocity, and greater variety of data than the human mind can imagine. And uh, AI has helped take automation to new levels. And while it's been around for a long time, as I mentioned earlier, what's really changing the game is just, you know, if you think about the shift in compute and storage capacities over the last several years, that, you know, significant exponential growth in the ability to process data has really defined taking AI to the next level. And if you think about volume of data, quite frankly, the volume of data available has outpaced even the ability to collect it, and it has certainly outpaced the capacity for human processing. You know, you also have to be sensitive to kind of, you know, what we call the life of the data, right? Data decays very rapidly with time. And so you see things around technology that's evolved around distributed processing, automation, and AI now are critical to utilizing most of this data and time frames that the data is most valuable. And um, so that kind of gives you a little bit, you know, just broader view of AI in general. And, you know, when you think about Amarin, you know, really, quite honestly, our industry overall, few things are top of mind for us when we think about our customers. You know, it is reliable, affordable, safe, secure, you know, clean energy. And so leveraging AI to really enhance, you know, the reliability and resiliency of our grid, helping our customers, you know, monitor energy usage, driving energy efficiency efforts, driving customer affordability, enriching customer experiences, you know, are all key items on our AI agenda. And the last episode that really spoke to me was another two guest episode we did more recently. The Smart Electric Power Alliance listed Seattle City Light on their Utility Transformation Challenge leaderboard. So we just had to have representatives from both SEPA and Seattle City Light on the podcast so they could share more. Uh, We did just that in the two-part episode spanning episodes 58 and 59, both entitled Setting an Example for Utilities via SEPA's Utility Transformation Challenge with SEPA's Sharon Allen and Seattle City Light CEO Deborah Smith. What struck me was the common viewpoint these two leaders had when discussing how to embrace leadership and innovation from a workforce level. Here's Deborah first, and she'll be followed by Sharon. So what we do is we're trying to work hard within a matrix management role. It's hard. Right now, our folks in innovation and electrification are working extremely closely with both our traditional engineering shops, 
because what we want is we want people to learn from each other. We don't want to leave employees behind any more than we want to leave customers behind. So we want there to be an opportunity for folks to crosswalk and expand uh, their knowledge and the tools in their, in their chest. And then we've got the same thing happening with energy efficiency, energy and innovation or electrification and, and innovation shop. They develop these new products and services that are in response to what our customers want. And then they pass them over. And then we have another shop that does a lot of the implementation. As I listened to her speak, I wanted to start saying, hallelujah, yeah, you know, a couple of points that I just want to reiterate because I thought they were very profound is as she was speaking, she said, we need both groups. Sometimes when people talk about cultural and generation change, people insinuate like younger, early career people are more technology and free thinking and the people who are more seasoned, been around or old school and can't change. And that kind of bifurcated thinking is absolutely destructive. And, and so when you look at the overall cultural change, you've got to have new ideation working with people who have been performing traditional and critical function, because there is a fair amount of knowledge that is institutionalized in the brains of some of our employees within utilities. And as we begin to invest and automate in things, we've got to make sure that we've gotten the institutional knowledge that exists within the brains of our employees considered so that we continue with change to keep our grid reliable and safe and economic. Terrific. Thanks, Matt. And now I guess it's my turn. It is tough to pick favorites. I walked away from each of these discussions with a greater appreciation of the work these leaders do. With that said, I'm mandated here to choose only three, which I'm happy to share. I'll start with my interview back in March with Garrick Rochelle, CEO of Consumers Energy. Garrick stepped into big shoes left behind by Patty Poppy, who took the helm of the behemoth PG&E. What I admire about Garrick is his passion for change and uses the term catalyst to describe this movement for change he is instilling at consumers. Let's take a listen to this clip from episode 34 called Rising to the Moment, but Creating a Movement with Garrick Rochelle, CEO of Consumers Energy. Often we talk about what I call catalysts. And what catalysts are is really a springboard that again, move us forward in our strategic direction. Net zero carbon by 2040's example. These catalysts are how we measure, they become proof points. And the proof point is in fact, the documentation that we're moving along that path. And so I look for these catalysts. I look to, to see that we are making progress on our journey. And we measure these across the company. We measure them in terms of our strategic roadmaps and these catalytic type events that are the springboards that move us forward. Another moment that stood out for me was in June, episode 48, entitled Elevating Customer Care for Electric Cooperative Members with Sean Van Slyke, CEO of SEMO Electric Cooperative. SEMO stands for Southeast Missouri Electric Cooperative. If you follow him on LinkedIn, you'll find Sean is an interesting and colorful man. Prior to leading SEMO, he worked for Ameren, the big IOU in the Midwest. So Sean has experienced both the big and small. 
For his commitment to the community and impression on stakeholders, he told us about CMO Camp, that he runs for the public and his employees. Let's take a listen. And then I'd seen that at the IOU world and, and try to work on it there. And, and here, because we're so nimble and we can make decisions, we started a program called Camp CMO. And then what that allowed was our employees to actually rotate through every department over a, a one-day period or two-day period. And they got to see how each department fits together. So in the morning, we start at 7.30 with safety. Then 8 o'clock, they go to member services. And then they go to billing. Then they go to accounting. and go to metering and dispatch. And they rotate through the day like that. And then in the afternoon, they go out and ride with a one-man service truck for the afternoon. And in the evening, we fly them up 50 feet into a bucket truck. And then when they come in on Tuesdays, they go with the construction crews. We put a shovel in their hand and get out there and probably put a pole in the ground. And in the afternoon, they do a fiber installation. They do a drop and they do an install. The final one to discuss that I believe we found to be an exceptional discussion was around the topic of the digital customer journey for customers in episode 56, titled Utility Data Journey with Mike Murphy of Con Edison and Paul Dakotas of West Monroe. To level set here, Con Edison is striving to become customer-centric, much like Amazon and Apple, and his is a major undertaking. I love getting these two guys in the room and hear what they had to say. So let's hear Mike first on the customer journey that Con Edison is building. At Con Edison and all we do, you know, we're focused on continuous improvement. So we're excited about what we're working on, but there's always opportunity to improve. And so a couple of things I think that, you know, uh, have worked for us and, and, and I would share with others that are starting this journey. I think it's really important to strike the right balance of focusing on near-term value for the customers and the company, but also, again, working on that cohesive strategy for customer experience and technology. And we have to build the support for customer experience programs internally and externally, and it requires the development of a customer experience strategy and the supporting investments for that strategy to be shared <laughs> off stakeholders at all levels from employees to regulators. And so facilitating that alignment around the strategy and the specific investments that support it has really helped us to be successful in our digital efforts. Also, I would advise others to avoid defining too far out into the future the exact sort of focus areas or use cases that will be addressed with digital and analytic solutions. The pace of change is just so fast. We find it imperative to really think about building capabilities and ways of working that incorporate the ability to be flexible uh, so that when the highest value focus areas become clearer, and unexpected needs emerge, you know, we can make sure we tackle those and, and are successful. So for example, we've had success at Con Edison planning digital analytics focus areas and releases quarterly. And I think that's something that I think uh, really has helped our success. Thanks, Mike. Paul, same question for you. You know, you've worked with plenty of utilities, so I'm sure you've seen patterns across the industry. But what advice would you give to someone listening who hasn't yet dove headfirst into the digitalization and database decision-making? Well, Jason, I, I would bet that while any given utility might not have taken the plunge completely, that they are thinking about it or have started the journey toward digitalization and analytics in some aspect of their business. I will add that digitalization is a prerequisite for rigorous data collection and advanced analytics, and it's a journey, not a destination. In theory, it would never really be completed. Advances in technology and machine learning, for example, continue to advance our thinking and expand the solution set of possibilities. So I suggest utilities develop the value proposition, as stated earlier by Mike, for digitalization and analytics to meet their corporate customer and regulatory <laughs> objectives. 
I think they need to engage regulators and make the case as to why the investment in these core business and IT and OT areas benefit customers and help states and localities meet their climate and energy goals. So that's the rundown of the best of the best from the past year of our proud podcast. I hope if you heard something that sparked your interest and attention, you'll go back and listen to the episodes you missed. And we'll surely have links to each of these episodes in the podcast notes. I want to thank Matt and Audra for joining me today and the entire Energy Central team for supporting this podcast over the past year. Similarly, we want to give an end of year shout out to our podcast sponsors. To West Monroe, West Monroe works with the nation's largest electric, gas, and water utilities in their telecommunication, grid modernization, and digital and workforce transformations. West Monroe brings a multidisciplinary team that blends utility operations and technology expertise to address modernizing aging infrastructure, advisory on transportation electrification, ADMS deployments, data and analytics, and cybersecurity. To ESRI, an international supplier of geographic information, GIS software, WebGIS, and geodatabase management applications. To GuideHouse, a premier market research and advisory firm covering the global energy transformation. To Enterix, Enterix is focused on delivering transformative broadband that enables the modernization of critical infrastructure for the energy, transportation, logistics, and other sectors of our economy. And to Scott Madden, a management consulting firm serving clients across the energy utility ecosystem. Areas of focus include transmission and distribution, the grid edge, generation, energy markets, rates and regulations, corporate sustainability, and corporate services. The firm helps clients develop and implement strategies, improve client operations, reorganize departments and entire companies, and implement myriad initiatives. So once again, I'm your host, Jason Price. Plug in and stay fully charged in the discussion by hopping into the community at energycentral.com. And we'll see you next year at the Energy Central Power Perspectives Podcast.